All right, let's talk about these Indianapolis Colts and what happened this afternoon at Lucas Oil Stadium. The Colts lose 24-17, turning the ball over three times to a team as competent as the Tennessee Titans is a death sentence. And so that's the way this worked. Matt Ryan put the ball on the turf two more times, losing one. Uh, Jonathan Taylor with a fumble that was lost. And then an interception from Matt Ryan, who otherwise had a good day. But it's kind of, you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like to play? He was 27-37 for 356, two touchdowns, both to Mo Ali Cox. The pick that I mentioned, he was sacked three times for 29 yards. His passer rating was 109.8. So there you go. Jonathan Taylor, 20 carries, 42 yards. Look, we can go through the statistics all we want. But this game isn't about statistics. If there's anything that we've learned from uh, talking together for these four weeks about football and, and beyond that, it's that this is not a game about statistics. It's not a game about analytics. It's a game about men doing their jobs correctly in order to create a positive result. And the Colts have not gotten that done this year. They are 1-2-1. One, they are 0-2-1 within their own division, which is the nightmare scenario to be winless in these three games against the Texans, Jaguars, and Titans. is It's not quite a death sentence, but it's nearly a death sentence. You've got week six, uh, two weeks from today, at Lucas Oil Stadium against the Jaguars, and then week seven down in Nashville against the Titans. You've got to win both those games. If you don't win both those games, the, the train has left the station and the season is a loss. I just don't see any other way to say it. And then you've really got to question yourself. And Jim Ursay has to ask the question, all right, do I need to be patient with Frank Reich anymore? Is, is this a team? Do I look at this team and see something that fans are going to want to pay money to watch and can win football games? I know he is uh, beloved from about week six on, right? Week six on, Frank Reich has historically been pretty good. Prior to week six, not so much. And ask yourself this, and I'm going to ask people as, as you activate yourself as callers and tour in line now, so we have room, uh, and we'll go through these pretty quick because I think we're going to have a lot of people who want to talk. If Matt Ryan wasn't named Matt Ryan, and if not for his, his heritage of, of good quarterback play down in Atlanta, uh, would you be ready for Nick Foles to take snaps next week for the Colts instead of him? And that $35 million tab for Matt Ryan, which is not negotiable, how do you, uh, unless the switch flips and all of a sudden this offense starts cooking, how, how do you justify paying this guy to be the uh, the quarterback for another season and, again, to uh, justify Frank Reich as the head coach? For another season. All right, let's go to the phones and let's go to uh, let's go to David. How you doing, David? Make sure to unmute yourself. Uh, what'd you think this afternoon? Doing pretty good, Kent. What really has to we what we really have to question is is Jim Irsay. Then we have to question Frank Wright and Chris Ballard. We don't have all the pieces in place. And Frank Wright was a preacher man before he got to the Colts, right? And yep. we all know that. He is a, he's really laid back. And I believe Kevin and Wary last week says the team has his personality. Laid back. We got our jobs. Is anybody's job really safe as of right now, to be honest with you? You know what I mean? And there's 
just laid back and nonchalant like Frank Wright is, and I think somebody needs to come in there and get their ass motivated and start playing some damn ball because we're wasting our money and our time watching these people lose, and I'm about tired of it. You know, it's interesting talking about Frank Reich. He's lauded as being the architect or the the author of two of the biggest comebacks in the history of football. Uh, the biggest one uh, in college football being Maryland over Miami, and Maryland was down uh, something like I, I think thirty-eight nothing or thirty-one nothing. And then in the playoffs against the Houston Oilers, the Buffalo Bills came back behind Frank Reich uh, to beat them. I think forty-one thirty-eight after being down. 38 to 3, I think so. But the point is, Frank Reich is kind of in the eye of the hurricane, right? He is the calm in the middle of a storm, in the middle of chaos. And that's how you come back, right? But in his other 20 starts, his teams were 5 and 15. You know what I mean? Yeah, the guy could bring you back from the dead once in a while because he kind of dug the hole that got you there. And he understands how to bring a team back. But if you can't get it, I want a quarterback who can get you a lead. I want a head coach who can prepare you to win, not dig you into a hole and then find a way to crawl out of the hole. Don't go in the hole in the first place. And that's kind of what Frank Reich has done, right? Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's talk to uh, Stelios. Uh, Stelios, how you doing this afternoon? What pissed you off most about this game? Mm, a lot. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to be short and uh, pardon my English, but uh, I'm, I'm seeing a, a, a lack of uh, many glory holes in every level of our organization. I, I don't like to, uh, my team to get away with murder, even if we win mile high, even if we bounce back. Something is wrong about this team fundam- fundamentally. That's it for me. That's it. Okay, Thank perfect. You very okay, much. perfect. Thank you very much. You. I appreciate it. Uh, a, a person of few words, but important words. I like Stelios. Um, there is something wrong. There is something fundamentally awry with this team. And, and I think it starts, number one, I think it starts with an inane level of expectation year after year after year. All the talk about championships and we're a championship organization, we're a championship this. And this team hadn't won a championship in more than 15 years. It was more than 15 years ago this team won its one championship. And this is year 39 in Indianapolis. So don't talk to me about championship organization and we're here to win championships and and all else is, is unimportant. That's not what this is or you win championships. You know what I mean? And I get you're up against Brady for years and years and years, and it was really tough in the AFC, but you won divisions like it was your job because it was your job, and you had a a franchise-level quarterback, and now you got a guy who can't hold on to the ball. Uh, Let's talk to Peyton. How you doing this afternoon, Peyton? Make sure not to get There you are. I'm good, Ken. How are you? I couldn't – well, I could be better. I, this team could be playing some damn right. football. This city could wrap its arms around. Right. Well, okay. So we give, so we get, we get Alec Pierce, right? For first round or second round, we get right. Alec Pierce. He He's doing the most on this team. So one, I, I thought we could have won because of course, 
Or Shaquille Leonard was going to be back. He was back. Did he get injured or something? I didn't. I didn't see. Yeah, that. it was a friendly fire hit from Zaire Franklin. Okay. Uh, Franklin caught uh, Shaq in the head. Shaq had to be helped off the okay. field, and he's in the concussion protocol. And that's really tough to come back from in four days. So it's almost certain he's right. going to be out well, for the Denver game. Right. Um. But we got Alec Pierce, we got Pittman, shoot, we got Naeem Hines and Taylor. We just need a damn quarterback, a franchise quarterback. And I think with what what you said caught my attention real quick. Nick, if we put Nick Foles in the game just for one game, just to see how he does as a starter, you saw what he did with the Bears organization as a backup. You see what he did with Carson Wentz and the Eagles as a backup. Why wouldn't it be the same thing as if he was the backup for the Colts? Well, I'll tell you, you that. Saw Car- that is a nightmare scenario. That is that is absolutely like that happens at DEFCON 1 that they put Nick right. Foles in because what that does is it completely eviscerates Matt Ryan. And and puts Matt right. delegates Matt Ryan into that role as the old guy who can't play anymore, and you're on the hook with Matt Ryan next year, come hell or high water, for thirty five million dollars, and that's a hell of a lot of money right. to pay an old man who can't play. Oh yeah, but you you see again, he's making the same mistakes as Carson Wentz did in yeah. the beginning of the season, trying to force balls down the field, trying. He got lucky with that 44-yarder, I'll tell you that. He should have been sacked 100%. Um, yeah, I, I to- totally agree. Thanks for the call, Peyton. I appreciate it. Good yeah, call. No Let's worries. talk to Andrew. Andrew, what's going on this afternoon? How you doing? Oh, well, not too bad, Ken. How about yourself? Well, I, I could be better. This team could be playing some football that we want to talk about and, and have a good time watching. I agree, and I, I think this team is starting to feel a little hard to root for, and that's for a couple reasons. Yeah. One is we, we are supposed to be built in the trenches, so you think a trench-built team would be tough, and they would they would just beat teams down, and it doesn't feel like they do. And it feels like this team is going to be a mediocre team at best year in and year out, and it's hard to cheer for a team that you're like, oh, maybe there'll be nine wins, maybe there'll be six wins. That means we're not going to be bad enough to – get a high round draft pick and we're not going to be good enough to really make a splash. Even if we barely make the playoffs, we're going to get beat down by the bills or whoever. And it's kind of hard to root for a team that just you see being mediocre year in and year out. And there's not a lot to root for. Like when we had Andrew Luck, you always knew that there was a chance we might, he might just, you know, get us all the way there. Peyton, the same way, even when they weren't, you know, winning championships, they were still winning a ton of games and you always knew, with Peyton, we might win it all. This team doesn't feel like that at all. You know what bugs me about this team, and, and it's there's there's something to be said for exactly what you're talking about, but I, I can't dig the expectations as they are built every single year by an organization, and this is this is true with with Ursay, Ballard, and Reich. The the entire organization seems arrogant and incapable of evaluating their own limitations and understanding that this is not a championship team and that paying Quentin Nelson $20 million is not a, a stroke of genius and, and that going out and getting a 37-year-old quarterback who hasn't played well since 2018 
isn't the recipe for going to a Super Bowl out of the AFC. And every single year, and I kick myself in the head for this myself, I buy in. I'm like, you know what? All right. You got Ngakwe. He's great in Gus Bradley's system. You got Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan had a, a, a horseshit offensive line down in Atlanta and didn't have weapons last year. And so, okay, you know what? Maybe this is the group. I think that every year. I talk myself into believing that Carson Wentz was somebody that Carson Wentz is not. And maybe that's at the root of my dissatisfaction with Carson Wentz and my frustration with him last year. I bought in. Stop selling me stuff. Stop selling me the unattainable as a goal for this team, please. And and then we can just we can say, okay, you know, if they finish 8-9, that's not a bad year. It's a step in the right direction because that's what this organization is. But I refuse year after year to believe myself when I tell myself that. Yep, that, that's what I'm saying with the whole unlikable or at least unwatchable part they're starting to feel like. It, does Jim Irsay not see the things that we all see? Like, I know he's been around football his entire life and all that jazz, but, uh, you know, we all have eyes too. And if we all see it, why can't they see it? You know, I'm going to take an optimistic look, and thanks for the call, an optimistic look on Jimmy Irsay. And, and I'm going to say that uh, he lives in hope and dies in desperation instead of what would be the cynical view is that he continues to kind of convey this air of, of excellence when none exists, and he does it in an effort to sell tickets. Let's go to Isaiah. How you doing, Isaiah? Hey, what's going on, Kent? Um, Hi. <clears throat> tough day. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, really off the Jim Irsay thing, you know, I know we want to think, well, we see it and changes, structural changes have to be, have to happen. But, you know, I hate to parrot this line, but it's not Madden, right? And we can't just right. go off the whim and make significant structural changes to this team overnight, or it's catastrophic. Only horrible franchises make these knee jerk uh, decisions that big, not, not removing a kicker, but like, Oh, your GM, your coach, everybody is just gone. You're all fired. You can't, we can't play the game like that. That's not going to work. But certainly something has to change. And when we've looked at the last five to six years, all I can think of is there's been these consistent themes of inconsistency, consistently poor first half play, consistently poor opening play, consistently poor games where we should win, but we play down to our opponents and play up to other opponents. And Ballard has has made his fair share of mistakes. But to me, these these lack of preparation and all of that, I'm sorry. I, I, I have no other 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 thing to say about it other than it's got to be Frank. It's got to be Frank. And I well, have tried to give him the benefit this. of the doubt. And, and, but, and that was going to be my question. Is Mike Vrabel interviewed for the job here when it was initially given to Josh McDaniels and then Frank Reich came in uh, when McDaniels decided to stay in New England. Would you rather have as a head coach would you rather have uh, Mike Vrabel or Frank Reich? 1,000% Mike Vrabel. I think yeah. Mike Vrabel is a top three coach in the NFL. What he did last year with that team after Derrick Henry went down having Ryan Tannehill, I know they weren't they weren't world beaters, but they got the one seed was one of the most impressive no. coaching years I've ever seen. I love it. Thank you, Isaiah. Great call, as always. Uh, Jakari, how you doing this afternoon? Make sure and unmute yourself. There you go. How you doing? Not doing too good. You know, that was very disappointing. Yeah. 
just watching like I don't know. I want to what I want to talk about is the run game because twenty rushes, forty two yards is just like terrible. Watching the best running back run for two yards a carry, like I don't know what to think. I feel like why are we just running it up the middle with this terrible line? Like they're not getting no push. So I feel like why not like switch it up outside run something to get our best player going, you know? Well, I'll tell you one thing that we found out today. Danny Penner wasn't the problem, was he? Oh, no. He's bad, but I think, like, there's no replacement to get any better. And you could – you know what? Here's what happens. When you spend disproportionately at the top end of your roster, like they are doing with Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly – you, you can't have then the two other starters on the offensive line be guys who are anything other than kind of role players, space fillers. That's sort of what these guys are. And so you're going to have a, a right guard who can't play very well, and you're going to have a left tackle in Matt Pryor, who you know is, is not cut out for that position, and you're hoping that you can get Bernard Ryman schooled up quick enough to be able to step in there you know, if if you put all your chips on one number at a roulette table, the odds of winning really aren't very good. If you do win, you know, you win a huge amount of money. But this is a team where, like, they, they spent a lot on Quentin, Ryan, and Braden. And so you don't have a lot being spent elsewhere. And, and that winds up being problematic. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for the guy. You think we got a chance up in Denver? Uh, I honestly do because I think Denver's not good. But I feel like we're gonna play just as bad as they are. I don't know. Like I don't know what to think. <laughs> I would I would love to think, oh, Jonathan Taylor, he's gonna do good. But now when he's running and touching his linemen and on the line of scrimmage every play, like I don't know. I love it. Thank you, Jakari. Uh, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Let's go to uh, let's go to Kyle. How you doing, Kyle? Hey, Kenner. It's Fitz here. Hey, how's it going? Good. It's good. Um, yeah, my my problem today is uh, just the lack of use of Heinz. I feel like we cannot get him schemed, or we're not utilizing him at all. Um, so I wonder, like, what is going on there? We've, well, we've, here's what I think. Defenses have kind of figured out what they're doing with Heinz, and that's putting a quarterback on him. And, and making it tough for Heinz to, to get any kind of, you know, room to operate at all when it's thrown to him behind the line. They keep throwing these swing passes to him, and you know what? That gets defended. And the yeah. bubble screens, that gets defended. I, I don't think they're utilizing him properly. I think the teams see him come on the field, and they understand what Reich's going to do. And I think that Frank Reich is a guy who is very easy to scheme against because he's right. so analytics-driven in right. his uh, his game planning and in what he adjusts to at the line of scrimmage, so I, I think that this is a Reich issue. What do you what do you think yeah. of Reich? Where would you Kyle? Where would you rank Reich in terms of coaches in the AFC South? You've got Doug Peterson, you've got Vrabel, you've got Lovey Smith. Um, I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm pretty impressed with uh, um, with Peterson. <laughs> I, yeah. I put him, him and Vrabel look very good. Um, right now, performance-wise, I put him last. I think you can make an argument for last. Um, 
back back to those bubble screens and stuff. I think we are the one of the worst screen running offenses in the NFL right now. Every time we get up to uh, and line up and run a screen, I clench my fist. Like we're negative yards on screen plays. I think <laughs> at least yeah. at least today. Right. I I, I don't get it. I don't get it, it. It makes no sense to me at all. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Kyle. Good yep. to hear from you. Uh, let's go to JP. How you doing, JP? Doing great, Kent. Um, I was trying to think out to briefly couch this whole thing, and I would say I think in this game, Tennessee is a good mirror for us to look into. They had a team with not as much talent, with more injuries, playing on the road, and you look at the difference of results. They came out and smashed mouth early and established who was in charge. We like sat back on our heels like we always do to start games, like we always do to start the season. And they got that big advantage and they played the same way all season. They're an under talented team and they're in a very injured team right now. People yeah. talk about that on the game today, but they have got injuries across all positions, crazy injuries, especially on their offensive line. And so they came out and just through sheer being pumped up and determination from their coach who had them ready to outplay us, even though we had more talent on the field. And they did that to a point where they got enough of a lead. And like they've done all season, they can't maintain it the whole game because they just don't have the talent or the depth. So they get you early and then they hang on in the second half. And that's what they did uh, to us today and our team our team can't do that, and that has never done that. We never come out and play that way with that intensity like uh, like we saw them, and that's coaching. I don't know what else you can put it to. You know, you played football, and, and I may be putting too much into this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm playing for a guy like Vrabel, Vrabel to me looks like somebody that I would want to play for. Frank Reich, his kind of – he, he, I, I think it's a, from a coaching perspective, I think he's got bad face. Like he, it, Ted Marchabrota was a really nice man and a good coach, but a, a very smart guy. And he had the same sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of professorial and, and sort of, you know, playing with his lips. And Wright just never looks like a guy who's inspiring anything but deep thought. And that's a he's problem for me. Yeah, Ken, I think he's emotionally detached. That's the way that he presents himself, emotionally yeah. detached. And football is an emotional game. It just is. You can only beat a team that's equal to you or better with more emotion and more passion for the game. And I, maybe that's why our team is so has taken on that identity and they don't come out with that emotion and that passion. And then they use their superior talent sometimes to come <laughs> back or to make it a game like they did today. But uh, it was too little, too late. And when, when it came down to making those cri critical, crucial plays, the guys on Tennessee believe in their coach. They believe yeah. in what's going on. And our guys just seem too laid back about it. Let me ask you this. Um, so do you think that it's more likely that at some point this season, Frank Reich is replaced as the head coach or Matt Ryan is replaced as the starting quarterback? There are no other options on this team to play quarterback. If if they put Nick Foles in, then I, they can't do it. They can't unless Ryan gets injured. Foles isn't going to see the field. And I've forgotten our third team quarterback's name on purpose because if we have that, we're in tank range. 
So, no, it's got to be Ryan. Look, if the damn offensive line would just give him a few seconds, he can complete really good passes. We saw it today when yeah. they finally were able to slow, just slow him down. They didn't have, they didn't give him a great pocket more than a couple plays the whole game. But, you know, he started playing good. And he got a little bit of a rhythm. Quarterbacks have to have some kind of a rhythm. And he's just getting bludgeoned. He's too old and slow and immobile to keep from losing the ball when he gets hit. And he has no ability to protect the ball if, he, if he's got pressure. And so this is going to be a theme. I, I fear. Nine fumbles in, in the first four games. His career average for a season, three fumbles a season. Yeah. He's already had nine. And he's never had more than 12. Right. Well, he's going to have that this year. He's going to have it next game, probably. <laughs> yeah. He's setting the over-under on Matt Ryan's fumbles. I, I think you're into the NFL record kind of stratosphere. Uh, I, I think he's got a pretty damn good chance to set it. Thanks, Kent. I appreciate it. Thanks, JP. Uh, great call, as always. Fulton, how you doing this afternoon? Make sure and unmute yourself. Uh, by the way, good for the Colts and for Colts fans is that the Eagles beat the Jacksonville Jaguars today. So the Jaguars are two and two. The Titans are two and two. The Texans, I think, are still winless. I, I, I'm not going to commit to memory what they've done. And the Colts are just one, two and one. So they're if they win Thursday night, they are tied. Atop the AFC South is improbable as that seems. How you doing, Fulton? Good. How you doing, Kent? I'm good. I'm good. What do you think? Um, well, I've got some um problems with the Colts. They need to make better plays and they need to make um mistakes. They gotta fix the mistakes and then run from the coach. And I'm thinking that Matt must um Matt Ryan could do some more passing than interception. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Fulton. I appreciate it. Let's talk to uh, uh, Caleb uh, this afternoon. Colts 24-17 losers at Lucas Oil Stadium. How you doing, Caleb? Not great. I think we got sold a false bill of goods. <laughs> no, it's, it's time for a milkshake, isn't it? It is. And, and my concern is, is this from the very top is – is Jim valuing player relationships over business decisions when it comes to football because that Quentin Nelson contract shouldn't have happened. Last year, T.Y. Hilton shouldn't have happened. How much is Jim overriding? Can we really blame Ballard? And then if Frank isn't fired, I'm not buying Colts merchandise until he is. He can't get a team ready. He's proven that. You know, it's funny. I bought my first piece of Colts merchandise in about 15 years, and I did that yesterday. Um, and speaking of... Jim, here's the thing about Jim Irsay. We talked to JP a couple of minutes ago, and, and he sent me a DM, I think, two weeks ago. And and what he said, you've got to remember that Jim Irsay is a collector. And he's exactly right. I mean, Jim, he's got the Irsay collection where he's got all these guitars and all these documents. He collects stuff that's meaningful to him. And there's nothing more meaningful to him than players on the Colts. And I, I think he's gone from being kind of pragmatic, which he was when he, uh, when he cut Peyton Manning, to being um, much more kind of loving and, and sort of open to having those relationships 
And and so I do think that that's problematic. That's a really interesting point. And and I, I think that that is one of the failings of a guy like Jim Ursay as he gets into his 60s. You realize that, you know what, money and everything, and you can't take it with you. And so you build these relationships with people that I think you put too high a level of importance on. Um, where are you? There you are. Um, unmute yourself, Caleb. Oh, Caleb's gone. All right. Uh, let's talk to Toby. How you doing, Toby? Good, Ken. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. What do you think? What do you, what do, you do to fix this? So I, I have actually kind of two questions on this. One, do you think, do we really think Anthony Costanza was that critically important to the O-line? Oh, boy. Because something, I, and I can't put my finger on it, something is drastically, critically, you know, hemorrhagingly different than last year to this year. And the second thing is, I'm wondering if it's, I, I, I can't say it's Nelson, but is there a possibility that Nelson has some big contract? I'm going to sit back now a little bit, you know, like senioritis on him on himself now. You know, that's, you know, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I, I think don't think the problem has been Nelson. If you look at like pro football focus uh, grades and, and if you watch your games with the all 22, you see Nelson doing pretty good work. Um, yeah. I, I, maybe Braden Smith. Has a little of that. I think Ryan Kelly. You, you know what? We tend to underplay. Maybe we tend to overplay Ryan Kelly's ability to compartmentalize life events. But we know what happened to Ryan Kelly and his wife last year, and and I think that that can have a real mm, effect on the way point. a guy looks at life and the way a guy looks at his profession. That's a good point. I I just something is drastically missing. I can't even, you can't even use enough, you know, descriptive words to say, you know, the change with Anthony Castan's gone to this year. I've never seen the O-line this bad collectively yeah. communication, okay. trust, all of it. Yep. I, I totally agree. Thanks for the call, uh, Toby. Uh, nice of you to spend some time with us as always. Uh, Colt's not in a good situation and that's kind of where this thing is, right? You know, it's uh um, you go one, two, and one, you know, the good news is that nobody's better than two and two in the conference or in the division. You know, you've got the Jaguars at two and two, you got the Titans at two and two, you got the Colts at one, two, and one. And like I said, if the Colts go out to Denver and they win that game, they're going to be two, two, and one, and they're tied for the lead in the AFC South as both those teams play in week five on, on Sunday. And, and, and so it's still there for this group. And, and you see, from time to time, you see things that make you believe that they can get this done, that they can play at a high level. They just haven't been able to do it. Let's go to uh, Caleb. Uh, you're back. I, I wanted to ask you how you rank the AFC South coaches. You're a smart guy. You've got Reich Peterson, Lovey Smith, and Mike Vrabel. Uh, where do you slot Reich in that hierarchy? At the end. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Lovey Smith, even with the minimal talent he has, Houston is still coming out to play. They're still putting points on the board. They're still getting turnovers. Frank has a team with a lot more talent, and they're unprepared for every game. We got lucky tie them. Yeah, you know what? They never, at least this year and last year at the beginning of the season, and then 18 at the beginning of the season too, but you kind of gave 
Reich a pass because that was his first year. You, you just haven't seen the Colts prepared early in the year to compete at a high level. And it seems to be a consistent failing with Frank Reich and with his team, doesn't it? It does. And, and another failing is in personnel issues. I think Toby was right. Costanzo, when we lost him, my problem with the Nelson contract is he may be the brawn and the cheerleader of the, the line. But when Costanzo left, the line lost its brains. There's no other brains of the operation on that line now. Nobody is taking command and directing them and making it happen. And Matt Ryan can't seem to communicate that effectively to them. And so when we lost Costanza, we lost the brains of that O-line. The same way when Walker left, we lost the brains of that secondary. And it showed. You know, one of the things that most people do when they build an offensive line is they start at left tackle and then they build to the right. You know what I mean? You, you kind of mm -hmm. need that left tackle as your anchor. Maybe your right tackle is second most important, then center, then right guard, and then left or then uh, left guard, then right guard. And it seems like the Colts have kind of gone ass backwards and they built with the uh, they had the center first. And then you've got your left guard and then your right tackle and and your left tackle is kind of an afterthought type guy in Matt Pryor. And, and you're hoping that a third-round draft pick like Bernard Ryman can come in and kind of hold down the fort and be that new guy, despite the fact that I think he's 24 or 5 years old uh, and, and just trying to figure out how to play football at this point. So uh, that's, that's a problem for the Colts, and it's a problem that they're going to try to solve this Thursday out in Denver. And one thing that I think we have seen Frank Reich do at a reasonably high level is get a team ready to play a game that they are not supposed to win. He's a good underdog coach. He is a bad favorite coach. We've seen that for years. Can't beat Jacksonville down in Jaguars. We are down in uh, Jacksonville. We all know that. That's been pretty well uh, chronicled. But this is also a team that, you know, when they were going to play a team like the Chiefs or last year, a team like the Bills, you know what? Colts, they went to Buffalo and they kicked the Bills' ass. You know, they find a way to win games that they're not supposed to win, and then they find a way to lose games that they are supposed to win. And and I think that that's the biggest problem with Frank Reich. Thanks to everybody for calling today. It's an outstanding show. A little bit of angst goes a long way toward building good programming. I always said that <laughs> when I was programming sports talk radio shows, and it still holds true. You know, it, it, it's a funner, it's it's a more fun show to host when they win. But man, when they lose, you get a lot of calls and they are really, really good, passionate calls. So thanks very much for uh, uh, for calling in and we'll do it. We do it as a post game every single week. We will do it after the game on Thursday night against Denver. And uh, hopefully the Colts win that one. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Talk to you tomorrow morning, too, on the YouTube channel, Breakfast with Kent at 7 in the morning live inside Indiana Sports Now at 4 in the afternoon live. But you can watch those anytime. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning.